Why don't we pray before we begin? Father, I just thank you, Lord, this evening. Lord, that we can begin and end the day just with an offering where we just surrender to to you, Lord. To receive that which you speak to us, Lord. I pray I wouldn't be a hindrance to having that happen. And Lord, we just are so thankful for the pictures and the images and the illustrations in Exodus 25, bring them to life, Lord Jesus. Just as you gave that Bible study to the two, two disciples on the way to Emmaus, taking them through the book of Moses and the prophets. Please do that with us this evening. We pray in your name, amen. Okay, so Exodus 25, Moses is on top of Mount Sinai, and he is receiving instruction from the Lord. He's receiving the law from the Lord. And in this chapter, what he's going to receive are the instructions regarding the building of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of meeting. Remember, they're in the wilderness. They've come out of Egypt. They've, so they've crossed through the Red Sea. They're in uh, the wilderness, somewhere on probably towards the south of the Sinai Peninsula. They're in the wilderness, and... God is with them. In John chapter 1, we read it this morning. Verse 14, it says that the Word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now the underlying Greek word there for dwelt is the same Greek word which is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Old Testament written in Hebrew, but I think around 200 BC it was translated into Greek. And it's the same word for tabernacle that we will be seeing in Exodus when they're talking about the tabernacle of meeting, that place, um, remember they're mobile in the desert, they're mobile in the wilderness, they're not in one place. So when they, you know, when they get to Israel, eventually they're going to have a temple where they're going to meet with God, but here they build a tabernacle, and it's and it's 
made up of different instruments and parts that can be picked up and transported from, you know, with a moment's notice, really. And it's the same word, tabernacle. Jesus, John chapter 1, verse 14, tabernacled with us. If you have a, most translations, they, they get it right, but every, a couple of them say lived uh, with us. And that is really robbing from what the word actually means because it's supposed to be a reference in John chapter 1 verse 14 to the very thing that we're going to be talking about today, the tabernacle of meeting where God met or where his presence was with his people. The word in verse 14 of chapter 1 of John uh, there where, where it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us The only other time it's used is in the book of Revelation. So the one time in verse 14 of John and then also used in the book of Revelation. Verse 1 of Exodus 25 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering So think of passing a plate. This is kind of what it's what he's talking about here. He's gonna they're gonna build a tabernacle, but they need to build it with something. And so rather than giving money, they're gonna bring the different uh, pieces of either fabric or stones that are used to build the tabernacle. From everyone who gives willingly, it says in verse two. With his heart you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, speaking of the tabernacle of meeting. So where do they get all these precious stones? Where do they get all these garments, this blue, purple, and scarlet thread? Well, do you guys remember what happened right before they left Egypt? Remember what happened? There's 10 plagues, and the Egyptians were like, please get out of here, and uh, just in case, and, and to encourage you to go, Here's all our stuff. And it says they plundered Egypt in that way. And so they left with all kinds of riches, all kinds of gold, and they're going to be overlaying this whole thing with gold. It was given to them by the Egyptians. So important, it says in verse 2, it says, from everyone who gives it willingly. This is a free will offering. Now, there's some offering, some tithes in the Bible that it's it's not presented as an option. Tithing generally is not presented that way. This is different. This is a free will offering. So 
The Lord's going to build this tabernacle and he doesn't want one stone, one piece of thread to come from someone. He doesn't want his, his, his tabernacle to be constructed with one thing that was given by someone who had a begrudging heart. Okay, he's asking for an offering. I'll reach deep in my pocket and I'll give him this. No, there's nothing. He wants it willingly. A free will offering. And, uh, you know, there's certain things that I think of today in terms of free will offerings. There's, there can be financial offerings. But I, I often think of prayer in this way. You know, we have a ministry team here and we have a few required meetings to discuss business and discipleship and vision of the church. But from time to time I get a request, you know, we should make prayer a requirement from time to time for people in the ministry team. And we've always resisted that because prayer is a free will offering. God doesn't want people coming to a prayer meeting under compulsion. And for that, me- for that matter, all our offerings to him, he-, he wants with a cheerful giving heart. But, but particularly prayers, but, but the- just the offering, the free will offering. And so it is here that he's going to make his tabernacle and he is going to give it with things offered willingly here. Now he God could have just spoke the tabernacle into existence. He 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 doesn't do that. He uses his people to do the work that he wants to do in the world. He he could have just sort of said poof and have the tabernacle come into place. But he wants to bring us in. He loves us. He wants to bring us in everything that he's doing on, on planet Earth and in the United States of America and the city of Boston. He brings us in. He loves us. He wants to teach us something by what he is doing through us. And he wants to teach us something. He wanted to teach the children of Israel something by every single thread, every stone. There was, there was a lesson here. We're going to go over uh, some of them. It says in verse 9, again, according to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of, uh, of all its furnishes, furnishings, just so you shall make it. In other words, just I'm telling you what to do and don't diverge from it. There's an expression that says, God deliver us from clever men and women. You know, people that come into the body of Christ and think they, it's a better way to do the things that God has told us to do. There's a better way. And people come up with shortcuts. They come into the churches and they have shortcuts to whatever church growth or whatever it is they're doing. They have shortcuts. There's, there's what's, ve- what's been very popular for many years now are deliverance ministries. And, and so if you have a problem with lust, you'll have, um, you'll have a demon of lust and you get to come in and gather around someone and cast out the demon of lust or a demon of drunkenness or a demon of, of laziness, this type of thing. That's just nonsense. That's people, clever people trying to come up with 
ways to do things contrary to the Bible. The Bible says repentance. If you have a problem with lust or drunkenness or laziness, it's, it's, it's repentance. It, it's the sometimes long road of repentance. The Bible, it's so simple, simple instructions for life and ministries. He says, according to all that I show you, just so you shall make it. So Moses, you know, don't be thinking, you know, it, 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 the, 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 the cover of the tabernacle, it's supposed to be ram skin dyed red, but I really think aqua would be a better color. It's more in style today. No, no, none of that, Moses. Just so you shall make it, he says. Now, do we have that picture of the tabernacle? I don't know how this is going to come out. Let's see how that comes out. Maybe we can get the lights back there. Can you get the lights? Maybe that'll be better. Actually, this is better than I thought it would be. Can we get the lights? So this is a pit. Now, the tabernacle is uh, super important uh, in the Bible. And, and, and we'll see uh, that as we move along this evening... It says up here, the entire tent was 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, and 15 feet high. It had a wooden skeletal s- structure, and all of it was overlaid with gold, with no solid roof. So there was like skins and fabric was the roof of it. Remember, it was mobile. Uh, and so... Um, there was just two rooms in the tabernacle. Um, one third of the space, or one of the rooms, was the most holy place. There was only one furnishing in it. It's, it's the Ark of the Covenant, right there, with the mercy seat above it. And there's a veil in between. This is the veil right here, in between uh, the most holy place and the only other room, which was two-thirds of the tabernacle, uh, which was the most holy place. So there's the most holy place and there's the holy place. Wait, did I get that right? So there's the most holy place right here and then the, right here is the holy place. Holy place, two-thirds. Most holy place, one-third. And so uh, this veil here, remember, there... there there was a, a type of this, you could say, that was built in the temple. And when, when Jesus was crucified, the veil, here's the veil, is, is torn in two. The most holy place, in fact, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat really represents Christ himself. Particularly the mercy seat represents Jesus himself. And... Uh, only one time a year did anyone even go into the most into the most holy place, and that was the high priest, and that was only after being washed with water and going through a sacrifice. And so the priest ministered uh, in in here. You had to be a priest to be in here. But when the veil is torn in two, it just represents that you know now there's direct access to God direct access to God. So this is um, a picture of the the tabernacle. And so right here is the table 
of showbread. We'll talk about uh, that. Um, he, right here is the golden lampstand. Right here is the altar of incense. Very, very, very simple. And there's a veil here separating the tabernacle uh, with, you could say, the courtyard. And the only difference between this veil and the veil that separates the tabernacle and the courtyard and the veil that separates the most holy place and the holy place is that there's cherubim or angel angelic figures uh, on the veil that separates the most holy place with the holy place. So uh, there you have it. That's a picture of the tabernacle. Okay, thanks. We can get the lights again. But... um, it's going to be a lot of detail here, but a lot of very interesting detail. It says in verse 10, they shall, it starts off with the most important thing, which is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. In verse 10, it says, And they shall make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width and a cubit and a half its height. So when you think of the Ark of the Covenant, sort of like a, a, a chest, a wooden chest that, you, that some of you may have in your home. It's kind of like that. It's not that big. You shall, verse 11, you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it and shall make on it a molding of gold all around. So it had a lip. It had a lip over the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And the reason for the lip was because the mercy seat was going to just fit right inside of it. Actually, perfectly. Because the mercy seat is the same size of the Ark of the Covenant. And it's going to fit perfectly on top and they're going to transport this thing and they don't want the mercy seat falling off. Mercy seat representing Jesus Christ himself. Verse 12, you shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles in the rings on the side of the ark, that the ark may be carried by them. And so, again, they're going to be carrying this around, and this ark of the covenant around, and and the and, and the very presence of the Lord was was going to come into the most holy place and reside on top of of the mercy seat and uh, just the very presence of the Lord. It's indeed the most holy place. In fact, so holy that the priests, the high priests that went in once a year, his robe was made with pomegranates of, of fabric at the base of the robe, and in between the pomegranates there were bells, and they actually put a rope on his ankle 
So when he went in that one time, if he's going in not properly consecrated and happens to die, they, they pull him out. And, and so holy was it. And um, acacia wood, by the way, it's just trees that can live there in that climate in the middle of nowhere. And it's a very hard wood. It's a strong wood. I understand it is a disease and insect resistant wood. And uh, sort of representing, some scholars say, the incorruptibility of Jesus. But it's covered with gold. You'll see so much covered with gold. And so some Bible commentators say the wood represents humanity. The gold represents his deity. Jesus needed to be wood and gold, man and uh, uh, and God, in order to provide us with perfect salvation. He had to be humanity for him to die for us, and yet his, the sacrifice had to be perfect, and it had to be eternal. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So he was the eternal sacrifice. And so these four rings with the poles and the requirement that priests carry the Ark of the Covenant um, over their, uh, you know, on their shoulders. Eventually, a couple of years from now, we will be, I think it's in uh, 1 Samuel where uh, David, no, no, it's in 2 Samuel, would be in the beginning of 2 Samuel where David wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant in a battle had been stolen from the Israelites and taken by the Philistines and plagues and boils broke out on their cities and uh, they wanted to uh, you know, give the thing back so they take it back and any, anyway, eventually it makes its way into Jerusalem but it's, it's, it's not being carried by priests on their shoulders. It's being carried on the same cart, an ox cart, that the Philistines had put it on when they had stolen it. And, you know, so it's going around on a cart with, you know, wooden wheels on it or whatever and a, a couple of oxes that are carrying it towards Jerusalem. And David had call, called all the nobles of the land out all, you know, people from all over Israel were out and they were celebrating and the, um, ark, the, the ark was making its way towards Jerusalem and it came to sort of a dip in the road or whatever and it was going to fall off the ox cart and Uzzah reached up and prevented that from happening and it says he was immediately struck dead. Now, people look at that and go, oh, that's horrible. But look, relax, you're going to see him in heaven. You're going to ask him all about it. What was that like anyway, Uzzah, you know, when you reached out on that ox cart? But all of this is so important to God because it involves typology. Remember, later on we'll see Moses strike the rock, and God says, for striking that rock in, uh, in anger when I told you to speak to it, 
Um, you will not go into the promised land. And, and, and why is that? Well, because the rock represented Christ. And he had already struck the rock once. You don't have to crucify Jesus over and over, and over more than once. And, 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 and some of the t- times when we see a violation of that typology, there's incredibly huge um, consequences. But there really is a reason. The, um, the presence of God today who, who carries around the presence of God? Anyone? We do. The body of Christ. And who are we? Who are we? What does the Bible say we are? We are. We are what? We're, we're a kingdom of priests. First Peter chapter 2, it says we are a royal priesthood. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 and 6, do you not realize that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You carry around the presence of God. And so this typology in the Old Testament, incredibly important. Interesting, sort of as a side note, that when you read that account of them bringing the Ark of the Covenant towards Jerusalem, everyone's celebrating, there's music going on, and people are dancing Everyone's enjoying themselves, except for one person, God. And that's why, you know, our worship team, they, really, they do have a fear of God. They do have a fear of God. You know, we don't just want to entertain here. There's a lot of entertainment going on during worship times across the country. But is God enjoying it? That's the most important thing. Well, he wasn't enjoying seeing the Ark of the Covenant, which represents his presence with the people, being carried around on, on a Philistine ox cart. He was not enjoying that worship service. And, 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 and so anyway, after Uzzah died, you know, David freaked out. He was very upset. And, um, but then what did they do? They went back to the Word of God. And they said, oh, wow, we really got this wrong. I went back, did it again, got right into Jerusalem, and God enjoyed that worship service. But here you have it. It's this important typology that we see in verses 12 through 14. It was to be carried around. There was, it says, verse 12, cast, they cast four rings of gold, they put it in at the four corners. Two rings shall be on the side, two rings on the other side. And then, then the poles and the poles. Well, you know, they never even left the ark. They just kept the poles in place. And they would just lift up and uh, be lifted down as they were uh, transporting it. Verse 15 says, The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. Verse 16 says, and you shall put into the ark the testimony which I give you. What's the testimony? It's the Ten Commandments. It's, it's the two tablets of stone that's going to be placed inside the ark. It was Ten Commandments, but it represented the law of God. It represented the righteous requirement of God. 
And that's what was put in there. Now verse 17, this is good. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. Exact same size as the ark itself. Why wasn't it like half as big? Because it had to completely, the mercy has to completely cover the righteous requirements of the law as to completely cover it. We, we need payment for every single one of our sins. Not half, not a third, not 99%. So the mercy seat fits perfectly on top of the ark and inside the ark you have the law there. In the Bible, the law is called oddly it's referred to as um, the law as the, it's called it's called the, the has a ministry and the ministry is death Second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 7 says but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones which represents the two tablets, the law, they're put in the ark. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, so the ministry of the law is the ministry of death. It's also called the ministry of condemnation. Then the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. That's why the Bible says that the letter kills. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives, gives life. And so the question is, all this relates directly to New Testament theology. How does God find a way for you and I to get to heaven remain just and still be a justifier of sinful man. The only way is the mercy seat. The only way is Christ. The only way is to, is to completely cover the, the, those demands of the law which are shouting out, just cover it completely with mercy. Jesus' righteousness put to our account. So no one can say, looking at the bloody cross, the mangled body on the cross, can say that God is soft on sin. He just, oh, there's sin. There's, that's, you know, I'm like a bad janitor. I'm just going to shove it underneath whatever, uh, you know, some staircase or something like that. But, but no, he doesn't do that. Sin is judged. By G- on Jesus, it's, it was the judgment... Um, on sin, with God's wrath pouring out on him. So the mercy seat here in Exodus 25, it was 
put between the righteous requirement of the law and our sin. I'll repeat that. The mercy seat is put in between the righteous requirement of the law and our sin. Interestingly enough, the Greek for mercy seat, again in the Septuagint, so the Septuagint, it's the Greek Old Testament written, I think, around 200 B.C. And the word for mercy seat is the same Greek word used in Romans 3.25 for propitiation. Jesus was the, was the propitiation for our sin. He extinguishes it, our sin, by what he did on the cross. So our faith in Christ has put the sacrifice on the cross between us and the righteous requirements of the law. So Jesus had to die on the cross of Calvary in order to be a mediator between God and man. As a mediator, Jesus allows sinful man to have a relationship with a perfect and righteous, holy God. He is the mercy seat. That's who Jesus is. So before, so just continuing on with the typology, before uh, that happened where David tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, there was another incident, a number, a, a, a few decades before, a couple decades, I don't know exactly the time period, where after the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Philistine, the boils would break out. They said, look, we've got to get rid of this thing. And, they, and, that, and that's when they put it on the ox cart with a couple oxes and they whipped the things and they, and they went back towards Israel. You know, get out of here. In very astonishing account in 1 Samuel chapter 6, when the Israelites see the ox cart coming with the Ark of the Covenant, they begin to rejoice. And what do they do? They, they make an unbelievably tragic error. They lift up the mercy seat. They lift it. They lift up, up the mercy seat. And it's like, hey, what's inside of here? No, that's not a good idea. And it said that the judgment of God just poured out. And it's it, it, and there's a there's a dispute as to how many people were killed. One translation says fifty thousand. The other says fifty. Yeah, that's that's a big difference. Uh, but but the point is, is that there was a tremendous judgment, and and you wonder. You know, people read the Bible sometimes, this just looks like this crazy old primitive weird thing. Well, it's supposed to, ha- it, it's teaching us something. It's teaching us just about the, the white hot holiness of God and the greatness of Jesus' sacrifice. You never want to get to heaven unless that mercy seat is in between you and God. And the mercy seat is who? Jesus Christ. It says he stands before interceding with, for us night and day in, in the presence of God. So all these, all this wonderful typology here with the mercy seat. Verse 18, it says, And you shall make two cherubim of gold, those are angelic figures of hammered work 
You shall make them at the ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The face of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. And so... What's all that about? Well, some people think it's First Peter one twelve. There's a reference to the angels desiring to look upon, or or the angels angels gaze upon the salvation of Jesus or the gospel. Angels long to look into these things. They desire to look into. They love looking at just the incredible marvelous salvation and grace of God. We don't really see, uh, we can't really see a picture of the cherubim here, but here they are right here. Uh, But anyway, they're both facing directly the angels, their faces are, are, are facing the mercy seat. Verse 21, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat and from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So that's the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. It's the only thing that is inside the most holy place. Now the next verse, it's going to start getting into the holy place. It's confusing sometimes. There's two rooms. The most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant is, and the holy place where everything else is, which we're about to read about. Verse 23 says, You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. So 36 inches long, 18 inches wide, 27 inches high. And that is right here. The table of showbread is right here. And we're going to read about it a little later, but it's, there's going to be 12 loaves of bread on this table. It represents the 12 tribes of Israel. And again, it says in verse 24, And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around it. So there's also a lip around this table here. You see this lip? There's the lip right there. And apparently they did, uh, when they gathered everything up to uh, transport it, the bread was just left right there. So they didn't want that bread sliding off the table. So they have uh, the, the lip there. God is 
remarkably into detail. Remarkably into detail here. Verse 25, you shall make for it a frame of a hand breath all around you and you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. You shall make it, f- it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are at its four legs. So the rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. And you, may, you shall make the poles of the casia wood, which, by the way, these poles are... Um, these poles had to be really heavy. I mean, acacia wood was was heavy, and so uh, those those priests, you know, you think of priests as like these frail guys. No, no, no. These guys uh, were carried around this this ark of the covenant, which was made of one of the heaviest woods there are, covered with gold and poles. Not to mention the fact, and we'll read about this more. They were busy slaughtering. Uh, oxes and lambs and and, and this type of thing. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I don't know, that, 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 that picture that we saw of Mike McMillan today on top of, of a roof, you know, that's, that's kind of like the priests. I mean, they were hung guys. I mean, uh, that's what they were. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, and its bowls, verse 29, for pouring you shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. And so, again, the loaves, the 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes of Israel. The ark with the testimony, the tablets of the law inside of it represent the holiness of God. The table of showbread right here represents fellowship with God. Now, we'll read about this later, but every seven days the bread was replaced and the priest would eat the bread. And the priest would eat the bread with the high priest. And so we, being a royal priesthood, we have fellowship with Christ. Hopefully every day. Christ, the Bible says in Hebrews, is our high priest. So the table of showbread, just representing that wonderful fellowship, the ongoing fellowship, the never-ending fellowship. I mean, they didn't even remove the, the 12 pieces of bread when they were carting this thing around the wilderness. God doesn't want to take, there's no such thing as taking a vacation from from fellowship with God, you know. Some people say hey, they go on a vacation, they take a vacation from God. That's craziness. I mean, we, 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 even when they were transporting this table, the bread remained there, just representing that wonderful fellowship that we have with Jesus Christ. The next thing, verse 31, is the lampstand right here, which is a menorah. It says in verse 31, you shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. 
the lampstand shall be hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornaments, ornamental knobs, and flowers shall be of one piece. Verse 32, and six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower and three bowls made like an almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower and so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand, verse 34, on the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower, and there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs and their branches shall be one piece, all of it one piece of hammered, uh, pure gold, you shall make seven lamps for it, meaning seven lamps on this lampstand, and they shall arrange this lamp so that they give light in front of it. And its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold, and it shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all its utensils. Verse 40, again, we see this 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 verse, and see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. And so uh, the, the lampstand and the light presumably representing Jesus, the light of the world, and the light never goes out. And once, you have it, once you've come into a relationship with God, uh, there is that light inside of you that will never be snuffed out. And so this ongoing presence of the light here and of the fire of God. John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water. There's one coming after after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Just uh, representing that light that will not be extinguished, representing it, um, eternal life. And so, you know, why is it that, that God says in verse 9 and verse 40, according to all that I show you, just so you shall make it? Well, the tabernacle was a representation of the tabernacle in heaven. And somehow we're going to get to heaven and recognize this, that, that you know, for, at least for those who were in the Bible study Sunday evening, November, is it 19th? Um, 2016. You'll recognize, wow, this is looks right out of Exodus, and you know, it's going to be different. It's, not, it's probably not going to be a literal a tabernacle, but it is a re- in the temple it's the same thing. It's, it's a representation on earth of something that is there, a tabernacle of God in heaven. And so God wants it just right. He wants it just right. 
And so there you have it. According to all that I show you, just so you shall make it. Okay, we will continue uh, next time and uh, that we pick up Exodus in chapter 26 with uh, the tabernacle and the other things that are in the holy place. But we end on Sunday evening with prayer.